some companies actually make a turnaround and some companies not. And I realized that the companies don't really turn around as they expected. They tend to have some organizational problem. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Inbox Song. Inbox, are you ready to rock? Yes, for sure. All Let's right. Start. Yeah. Well, and we've been going back and forth trying to make sure that we get the right time so that I can get you on the show. I'm excited to tell our audience a little bit about you. Inbox Song started her investment career as an analyst in a private equity shop in Korea. Before that, she was an engineer. And when she initially joined that PE shop, she had no idea what private equity even was. She studied engineering almost her entire life and has studied a bit of business along the way. When she initially started, she wasn't planning on ending up in finance, but rather was hoping to land a job as a management consultant. The private equity shop, though, gave her a crash course in so many aspects of investment not only financial modeling, but also corporate governance and understanding a company's responsibility to all stakeholders. By this time, Inbok was fascinated by her newfound passion for investing. She liked how she could see the results of her decision much faster than working on a science project in a lab. She decided to move to the U.S. to learn more about investing and landed a job at a U.S. fund management company. Since then, she's worked as an analyst and portfolio manager in several different investment firms. Over the past decade, she has traveled to Asia and many emerging markets to meet the management of companies that she was thinking of investing in. Her focus from meeting those companies was to better understand the management, the strategy, and the business model. All of this came together to help her formulate her investment style. She has made her fair share of mistakes along the way, but she tries to make sure that each mistake is a lesson learned. As she says, a concept that sounds simple but feels painful Inbox, take a minute and fill in any tidbits about your life. My life is simple. Investment job actually requires a lot of time. And if you are really into it, then sometimes you continue to think about it. So I think maybe a lot of people agree with me that you are just relaxing, but somehow your mental is working, maybe part, portion of it. So... Yeah, so my life is simple. The most thing that I like to do is go to the grocery store because there are so many products and I can buy very easily. You know, the price point is not really high. You know, you can afford as much as possible. And actually, you know what is going on there. So whenever I travel and also even my neighborhood, I like to go to the grocery shopping whenever there is a new product. That is fascinating. Um, of course, I think you may have an obsession. As for those people that, for, for you and myself, you can see behind me, I have tons of books. Yes. For the audience, it's an audio, so they don't see it. But my obsession really is just like yours. Like I go to bed at night thinking about things related to business, investment, strategy. It's so fascinating. And this is already a good tidbit for all of us is that maybe the grocery store is a window on the life of the local yeah. people 
So otherwise you will be disconnected to people. <laughs> exactly. And we got to go back pretty often. So it's a great place to, to understand what trends are going on. All right. Well, that's a great introduction. Now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. I have maybe two folds of my story. So it may sound a little bit more, I'm jumping here and there, but just bear in mind, it's very hard to summarize into just one point. So that is the nature of the investment, I guess. So I guess for any fellow investor or any people who wants to be a great investor, one thing that they want to say to the people is when the stock price is really falling, and every sales side and everyone is very negative about the company. I knew that it is not right. And I bought into more and I made a big money. So I guess this is a story that uh, maybe people think that this is great and this is the real investor and who understand the business really well. I think I had only one moment in my entire investment career that it's not even close to it, but at least maybe 10% close to it. But I think all the lessons that I learned is something that can be related to that experience. It's not necessarily I'm trying to say that I learned a lot of lessons so I could make that investment. Actually, it is on the other hand, because of the small success that influenced me in my next behavior about my research. And I made a mistake. So a few years ago, I had a good success in investing in one consumer company. The core business is falling. And as you expect, a lot of people were negative about the company. And so at, at that time, I, I was a shareholder. So I tried to call the company as much as possible. I really bothered IR and CFO and everyone, like every week. Usually I don't make that frequent call, but I was so worried about the position. So I was able to get certain information about their turnaround plan and I was really hands-on. But the reason why I bought into that company is not because of their restructuring plan, but because of other business the other overseas business that was growing. And at that time I thought uh, the value of that business will be uh, much higher in the future. And if I assign certain multiple, then it should be higher given that it is higher margin business. So if I just step back a few years later, it's very clear that the reason why I bought into the company is not because of the restructuring plan, it was because of the other, other things. So I made my anchor point and I made some success, but somehow this, my, this uh, success disguised me and made me blind to the point that, oh, somehow I figured and I felt that this turnaround plan could be successful. And I start to apply that kind of mindset to my next analysis. So what happened is maybe one year later, I had a similar situation in another company. As this company was a technology uh, product distributor in China and their core business has been falling. There was uh, some structural issue. 
So I became another very diligent investor and I talked to them and the CEO was very transparent and then he talked about many things and the uh, conversation got deeper and deeper. So I got to know that uh, they have very valuable assets and certain assets that really back uh, the business. And if things really going uh, go wrong, then there, there will be very good book value that they can maybe attract some of the new investors. So I recommended to buy it. And I didn't feel very comfortable, but my past success influenced me that let's try this case again. Our weight in this company, the portfolio weighting was 1.5%. So it is not a huge deal. So I recommended to buy it. But when, when you say you recommended, that means that you're an analyst within a fund management house recommending to the fund manager, hey, right. you, should, you should allocate a portion of the fund to this. Yeah, you should buy more and more and more. Yeah. Yeah. And this <laughs> is a, just a couple of nights ago, I did a little, a little a group event for young people in the world of finance. And what I talked about is the difference between an analyst. Let's say I'm, I was an analyst all my career. You're an analyst but I was a sell-side analyst, you're a buy-side analyst. A lot of my job was to try to get, attract the attention of fund managers and analysts out there because they're being, you know, there's so much information. But in, if you're an, a, a buy-side analyst, a lot of it has to do with kind of trying to serve your fund manager, understand their right. needs, and build that relationship of trust with the mm -hmm. fund managers that you're serving. Would that, would that describe the way a buy-side? Or if, if you had to tell a young person what are the key characteristics of being successful as a buy-side analyst? What would you say? The buy-side analyst needs to be more balanced. I think they need to understand what is... So one thing that I continue to observe is who is successful is really balanced and understanding, understand all the stakeholders. Uh, not only company, company's shareholder, the portfolio manager that I'm serving, and also the sales side analyst, be open and be balanced. Some analysts starting in a buy-side job, I think they are very talented people, and sometimes they can be overconfident. And when like a certain more experienced manager say, I think like a certain research is not that valuable. And they say, oh yeah, I agree. But have you ever really looked at the research and is it your decision? So being open and be balanced is the first and then try to form your own idea and your own opinion. I think all my entire career, I felt every day like I am fighting every day. So when my manager say, oh, I like this one, I try to find the way that I can uh, have different opinion. So just try to be different. So he was the great mentor in the sense that he always gave me certain opinion and listened to me. And I try to develop uh, why it can be wrong and uh, why my thought can be right. And I try, to, I try to collect as much as evidence as possible. So this is the research process. Research is, uh, someone told me that it is read and search. 
So how you can read and search is because you have like certain portfolio manager or your colleague that you can talk to and, and maybe they can maybe give you some encouragement or anything that it will incentivize you think more. So you will read and you will search. I saw some people just not doing that, but I think that will be very important. Okay. So now that the listener can understand that a little bit better, the next thing is, mm -hmm. okay, so here you are, you've got this stock, you, you, there's a turnaround, it sounds like, and you're recommending it to your fund manager. What happens next? Yeah, so the next is how I describe this one. So I made a note. How I describe this is the validity of the anchor point. So you should think about because it is good to have the anchor point. It's just collection of the data, collection of the information is not a decision. The buy side analysts need to make a decision. So you need to have the good anchor point but you really need to think about the validity of it. So that is my one of the summary. And the other summary is the perspective of the strategic shareholder. So if I compare these two, maybe the first consumer company, the anchor point that I made was something that is valuable for the strategic buyer or strategic shareholder because it's a real overseas business. But the second case, I realized later that it was not that much valuable. Maybe it may be valuable for the existing the business owner, but if they want to sell the company to others, is it going to be really valued as much as they think? Or maybe not. It's just an asset. Maybe what they want is more operational franchise. So I think this is something that I made a summary. And what is also most important is be honest with you is something I think is also very important. And that leads me to think about more and more about the, the value of the franchise. Because the first business, the value of the franchise was intact so that I think my anchor point was working just because the franchise value was there. But the second, my anchor point didn't work. Maybe if the business was okay structurally and the value of the franchise is there. Then whether my recommendation is right or not, maybe the stock price may have gone up, but mm -hmm. it didn't. I think it is the, the value of the franchise. So I can share something that I can relate to this value of the franchise and to the point where you may fall into the trap when you really want to be against the crowd. So one thing that I want to share with you is the strong company may die very slowly. You really need to be careful and you need to be a long-term investor and try to understand what is going on out there. It's important because in a short time frame of one month and three months, it seems like company is struggling but company has a very good manufacturing base or a very good brand and also the customer base. So they may not seem to be dying, but they are. It's just a speed is slow so that we don't recognize that much. I had a, that experience in one of the shoe manufacturing company in China. It was before e-commerce was really picking up, but when e-commerce is coming, 
The company was so strong that it was not that affected. Others died already, but that company was there. But it took several years for them to decide, oh, yeah, we will go private. So that mm. is something that I want to share. And the second is related to the value of the franchise and why this company may die slowly is actually organizational structure. That is something that I think it is very important and I continue to realize the importance of it and I think the good investor also need to understand the organizational structure. It's because uh, when the company share price falling, it's most of the case that investors know the problem and the company come out with some of the plan and then the investor believe it maybe one month and then they observe. Some companies actually make a turnaround and some companies not. And I realized that the companies don't really turn around as they expected. They tend to have some organizational problem. So one example is I met a company and that is the consumer company in China. And they promised them the restructuring plan year by year by year, but they didn't. And one day they got the new CFO and I met her. And she said, you know what? In fact, we don't have finance division. You know, I have been watching this company, this company speak one, but what she said right now from outsider, because she used to be the outsider and she just got there. And this is our new product you can try. But what I need to do is I need to build a finance division and then I need to move my building. So can you imagine that you can? So what it means is the financial numbers that you have seen so far is there, but maybe there is no accountability within the organization so far. It, it wasn't that long time ago. It is actually one to two years ago. It is not like 2000 event. It is 2015, 16 event. So what it tells me is maybe we can ask some questions. We can detect some of the organizational structure and how people are structured, whether each function are cooperating with each other. Sometimes we don't ask these questions. I didn't ask these questions at the very beginning of my career. But I spent another, just one total separate meeting with management that uh, what is your organization structure, is employee happy, and uh, what is your plan of hiring, those kind of things that may not uh, give you the financial number, but very important things. All right. Those are a lot of things that I get out of this. And maybe what I'll do is I'm going to summarize what I'm taking away from this and then let me know if I've missed some things. Basically, the first thing is do your research. And it's easier said than done. And what I also hear about you, what you're saying, which I really appreciate is the idea of really getting to understand the management team. I would say most companies the team is a mess and they're fighting with each other and they're not always working together. It's just natural. It's human nature, really. So it's yeah. really a question of how is it structured? How is a leader 
bringing all the the best of these things together. And that's that's not the type of thing that an, an analyst mm-hmm. usually looks at. We like to look at numbers and all of that. But what you've just demonstrated is that there's times when you may think you're using valid numbers, but in fact, mm-hmm. they're almost made up. So that's one thing about doing your research. The second thing I'm going to talk about is just what I learned about what you said about how kind of success can bring confidence. And you may carry that confidence into other areas. And if you're an engineer, well, that confidence, you can really build on that confidence because you're learning physical laws, you're learning that. But in, in the world of finance, just when you get confident about something, things change. So be careful of that confidence. And you mentioned also another thing that I have had prior guests talk about is the idea of changing the reason why you invested. We try to come up with our thesis of why we're investing in a particular company. And if you find yourself changing that, it may be a good idea to stop and rethink. And it may even be a good idea to say, reduce the position or imagine that this company is now zero in the portfolio. Are you really ready to take a huge effort to get this into the portfolio now based upon this new reason why? And that, that's something I took away. Now, the other thing that any listener listening can take away is the access that an institutional investor can get. A sell-side analyst like myself all of my career, mm-hmm. an individual investor, it's hard to get the type of attention that a fund manager who and an analyst at a fund management house can get when the, the company knows that that fund has invested already and they're already a stakeholder. And so that level of access is just a whole different world from what most people are listening, are getting. But the last thing that I want to just mention that I took away from it is your idea that a strong company may die slowly. I think that that's a really valid point because just because they can, they can slow down death because maybe they have a lot of cash or they have a lot of credibility or they got good relationships with the banks doesn't mean they're not going to die. And so everything in the world of finance, you know, every company can die and things go up and down. So that's a great reminder for us that from an investment perspective, it may just be a time to say, yep, I like this company, good management, good, all this, but I think it's going to die over the next five or 10 years and I'm just going to get out of it. Those are all the things I took away. Is there anything you'd add or something that I missed on that? Um, No, thank you very much for the summary. At the end of the day, I think what I want to convey is I don't have more simple stories. There are many points that I try to deliver. I think the point is there is no simple solution. This is something that you continue to develop and you are actually connecting the dots. So that is my job. So I, when I was at school, my organization behavior professor, he has tendency to explain when he explained this development of the theories uh, around the organization behavior. He always says there was a certain theory and on top of that related to this, another one, related to this, another one. It's kind of like that. So you build maybe one or two dots and you connect it and another thing, uh, you find it and connect it. So it 
is not really defined by the sector or country. Actually, all are connected and people are connected and how they think and how the companies can cooperate is connected. So if you find something, then you may forget, but just make a mental note and connect to your next experience and build your own experience. I think that's something that I try to convey here. So that's why my comment is a little bit here and there and jumping Mm, around. It's fantastic. I like it. But we can also jokingly say, and maybe it all is connected through your local supermarket, but it highlights one of the things that I always teach young people, which is the idea that finance is both science and art. And because it's influenced by the behavior of people, it's not based physical laws as we see in physics and other areas in engineering. And therefore, we've got to constantly adapt and understand. And it also is an argument why something like machine learning or artificial intelligence may find the finance sector a difficult place. Because as you start to learn knowledge, all of a sudden, the behavior of the stock market starts to change. As I say, the thing about the stock market is when you just look at it, you cause it to change. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So let me ask you, what is your number one goal? We're going to wrap this up by understanding what what is your number one goal personally for the next 12 months? It can be business, it can be anything. I realize that I have to exercise. I'm getting old. It's important. I sleep quite well. So as long as I exercise, I think I'm fine. My career goal is, it's not a goal, but there are certain things that I want to learn more. I want to learn more about the different asset class. I used to be more equity investor. Mm. Uh, It is nothing to do with my job, but I want to understand more. I had a point where I think my learning curve was very steep and then plateau. And then when it was a plateau, I think it doesn't mean that you are, you know, everything. There is another learning curve coming. It is just um, something that I want to learn more. And I want to do travel for myself. I always traveled for business. So yeah, I will tra- I want to travel to New York. So that's what I want to do. Okay. Well, those are some great goals. In fact, you can go on Broadway in New York and see some of the great plays yes. and enjoy, enjoy that time. New York is such a fascinating place. I love it every time I go. Well, all right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we wrap up inbox. Thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about your losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? So this year, so let's connecting our dots and then maybe our dots can meet sometime and then maybe we can talk in person. Fantastic. Let's keep connecting those dots because ultimately the true value in life is the connections that we make. So I want to thank you for coming on the show. And that's a wrap for another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.